Live concerts just to see the audience react to something that you did along with the artists that they paid to see. You don't want to make them feel awkward with a blind spot in their eyes for like two songs. You know, you could be mindful of that, but anything can go wrong. Everything can go right. You're there in the moment with the people that are there to see the artist. When you see an audience look at what you worked hard on with an artist and then they're enjoying it as much as you are, it's just very satisfying. If I see a good show and I feel like I did a good job, I'm like, okay. <sighs> Okay, I can still do this then. I'm going to keep doing this. And every time you do something, I feel like you fall more and more in love with the job. So I've been doing it for 14 years now. So I, I still fall in love with it every day I do it. The New, the new, the new school. school. The New School. This is The New School with your host, Christine Hong. Welcome to a new kind of school where we talk about career paths you don't normally get to hear about in the classroom. Every episode, I talk to someone with an interesting life path and learn about how they got to where they are today. Hey guys, happy Monday. I'm your host, Christine Hong, and we got such a cool guest for you today. He's been working as a touring lighting designer for concerts the past 14 years and has worked with some really big groups like Good Charlotte, All Time Low, Dropkick Murphys, Mighty Mighty Boston's, Yellow Card, Boys Like Girls, and Click Five. And that's just to name a few of them. He's been nominated for one of the top honors in the touring industry, the lighting designer of the year at the Parnelli Awards. Today on the show, we got Jeff Maker. <laughs> hey. Welcome to the show, Jeff. Hi, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, I'm so excited to have you today. By the way, I've collected many questions from other friends because they're really interesting what you do. Oh, Lord. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm ready. Cool. Today, I want to cover how you got started in lighting design and how you're able to make it your full time career and like what the day to day is like for the different kinds of lighting designers out there and any advice you have out there for other aspiring lighting designers. Jeff, how did you uh, start your interest in lighting? My interest in lighting was by accident. I worked with local bands in Connecticut, designing websites and booking shows for them. And when I would go to the shows that I would book for them, obviously they were kind of treated like local bands and not really much was done with the lighting. So I would just kind of ask local house lighting guys at the time for these local venues. They were small, nothing huge, if I'd be okay if I got behind the board and was kind of mashed the buttons and just made it look like something was happening. And most of the time, there wasn't anybody doing that job at some of these small venues. They were just kind of like lights on and then the sound guy would do the audio side of things. So they let me go back there at a few venues and I just kind of started working around. And then when I moved to Boston, I started working as a bar back at the Paradise Rock Club. And then the house lighting guy was like, I heard you do lighting. I'm like, oh, I've tried. He's like, you want to learn for real? I was like, I'd love to learn for real. So he kind of just took me under his wing and trained me. And that's where it basically started. Wait, so your very first time you kind of asked about it, how old were you at the time? Probably 19. Okay, cool. So you were in college and were you just really interested in working with a concert or why did you ask to, to help out? I think at the time, I really didn't know what I wanted to do. I was going to college for psychology at the University of Rhode Island. I was going to transfer. I wasn't really excited about psychology after going through it. The college was amazing. It just wasn't for me. So I took a lot of time to spend at home, and I just kind of wanted to be a part of something bigger at the time. And to this day, it was being in the music industry. I just felt drawn to it. And the time I took off between the University of Rhode Island and transferring to Emerson College in Boston, just got really immersed in the ins and outs of the music industry, just looking up things online, how to do things, how to make websites, how to book shows, making contacts, getting music played on the radio when radio really was a heavy hitting thing back in the early 2000s, late 90s. And just kind of tried to learn as much as I could about something I knew nothing about. And the more and more I did it, the more I fell in love with it. So the website kind of fell off to the side, booking fell off to the side. It was just like, it's all about the lighting now. And that's kind of where it started and I haven't looked back as far as that goes. What other positions did you try 
in the music industry. You're saying booking. Uh, booking agent. Yeah, but it was like regional. I did one US tour that I just did on my own for a local band. I never went on the road with them. That was challenging. I'm just looking for shows. There was a thing we did called gig swapping where a lot of local artists throughout the country they put a tour together so this artist would book maybe the western side of the u.s another artist would book the west coast and then i would book the east coast and all together we'd be able to put together a tour with these three bands that would be in these markets and then the local bands would headline their own markets or the tours or the shows they put together but each band would help elevate the other band just trying to get that going because in the early 2000s late 90s record labels and radio stations had a hold on a lot of artists and local bands. It was harder for them to break through. MySpace was the biggest thing at the time and it really wasn't utilized to what the potential it could have been. And so it was a little tougher on that side for them. So me booking the shows was one thing. Website design was another that I still kind of dabble in now. Lighting just kind of became the focus because I enjoyed it the most out of all of it. Yeah, what did you enjoy so much about it? Helping an artist bring their music to life, like the writing process, I don't know what every artist goes through. So um, I don't know exactly the message that they have during the process, but after the process, I try to make sure I bring their vision to light as best as I can so I can magnify the message that they originally wanted to convey to their live audience. And sometimes I try to put my own twist on it as well, just to light up in a certain way that I think may be a little more epic in certain ways. And I just try to help bring their music to life. Awesome. Do you mainly work with artists and bands or do you ever work with DJs? DJs I used to when I first started out. After I left the Paradise Rock Club, I moved to a different venue called Axis. Still in Boston, no longer around, but it was in Boston. And they gave me my own venue after I was the backup lighting guy at the Paradise. And at the club Axis, they would do concerts in the daytime and at nighttime they do DJ nights. So they do like EDM, hip hop, R&B, techno, whatever genre it was, I would light it as well right after concerts. So that's the closest I think I've had to a DJ. Although I have done a couple of shows with Kygo, so that's the biggest ones I've ever done, but I've only done a couple. So the main guy for Kygo right now is my buddy Joe. So I was doing a couple of shows before Joe became the man because he is amazing. Well, you tell me why you like lighting so much, but was there a moment you were like, this is it, this is my career? Yeah, it was probably 2006 when I got asked to do my first tour. It was a tour in Europe with the Dresden Dolls. So I got to be on a tour bus overseas. And the first show I ever did was a festival in France. And I was scared, nervous. I thought I knew a bunch. And when you get there and when you get in the mix of things, there was a lot I still had to learn. When I was there looking around and being like, this is what I want to do. I think this is it. I read somewhere, you're like, when I got mono, I knew I wanted to make a lighting career, but I wasn't sure what that meant. (laughs) No, no, no. I did get mono when I was at the University of Rhode Island. That's what made me take a leave of absence. And during that time is when I just kind of became a designer i just plop myself in front of a computer and just learn as much as i can about everything i could in the downtime i had it would relate it to exactly what's happening this is very similar circumstances where a lot of people are kind of like forced to be in one spot like when i had mono i didn't leave the house i just learned as much as i can and that's kind of what i'm trying to do now for mm-hmm. the most part. no i agree with being stuck in one spot it's when i had to go home for the holidays for two weeks is actually when i got down and edited all my podcast episodes and finally launched it because I didn't know nice, how to edit yeah. at all before. Yeah. And I feel like it's going to happen with quarantine with everybody right now. It's going to benefit everyone. We're all going to come back, hopefully come back, you know, better at everything that we think that we want to be better at or things that we were doing before quarantine. We're better at it when we come back. Okay. Anyways, back to your lighting career. I was curious, are there different niches in lighting or how did you narrow down which niche you wanted to do? There's a lot of niches in lighting. I tried to do them all. I know that's not exactly the norm. 
not saying that I'm like anything special. I just need to know everything that there is to know about something. There are a lot of different departments in lighting. Like you have a designer, you have a director, you have a programmer, lighting crew chief, techs. There's so many different people on that aspect. I mean, I like doing it all, like knowing it all, but I can't do what I do without a team like that in place for the bigger shows. Like some shows you have to kind of wear like three hats, but when it comes to lighting where your team makes it the final product and you really can't do it alone, even if you try sometimes. Yeah. Could you explain what each of those roles do and how you decided the role you want to do? Sure. Well, designer, you're designing the entire show. Director there to make sure everything is looking perfect. Programmer programs your console for you. Your tech sets up everything. Your head tech sets up everything on stage, coordinates the local crew to make sure your rig is set up safely, quickly, and properly. There's also a video tech. If you have video wall, it's a separate department as well, even though it's all visual. So there's a lot of people that wear a lot of different hats to make the show come together. I try to do designing and programming, just something about being in control of everything. If there's going to be a mistake, I want to make sure it's my fault. I don't like relying on other people. And if they make a mistake, I'm like, well, you know, I'd rather take responsibility for a mistake than feel helpless when someone else does it. And I also try not to make mistakes, but you know, when that does happen, I'd rather take responsibility. So like programming and designing, I think I just found a nice middle ground for both of them to be what I do. And do you mostly want to stay with doing artists and bands or like, what about other genres of lighting? Is there TV and film? There's live shows. What else is out there? Live shows would be amazing. Like the ultimate transition from touring world and I mentally or physically can no longer do it or take the travel. I'd love to do like Saturday Night Live lighting for, you know, their live performances, any late night show live performances, stuff like that would be amazing where I can keep the live concert vibe going, but it's for television and I can stay in one spot, but still be involved in the industry that I really, really like. So that would be great to do that. Different genres though. I, I feel like I've kind of been grouped into the pop rock, pop punk genre. The Dresden Dolls are punk rock cabaret. So that's kind of the most unique genre I think I've ever had the opportunity to light. And other than that, it's a lot of straight up rock music, some metal, but a lot of pop rock. So it kind of matches the music genres mainly. Mainly, yes. And also I think the more and more that I work with a particular artist in a genre, other artists in that genre will be like, okay, well, they can light this particular style of music they can probably do this or we want to try them with our music kind of a thing so i think once you're in a genre i'm not saying this for all lighting designers or lds uh, but sometimes you get kind of typecast but you're kind of in that genre and if you like it you stick with it and if you want to do other things hopefully you get the opportunity to do that as well just like any other artist out there yeah exactly the opportunity's there and you're up for the challenge i mean do it you have music you have different genres of music there's live television shows like saturday night live is there any other types of experiences or shows that lighting designers specialize in? I can only speak for myself when it comes to what's interesting to me. I mean, there's so many people that work on a film, just one film. I mean, so many people dealing with lighting or just creating a fake crackling of a fireplace, you know, when that's not really happening. Stuff that you learn maybe in theatrical lighting, but when you see it on film, it just takes a whole nother life form. So I really think whatever genre and whatever aspect of lighting that you find most interesting, if you're into the business, just stick with it. If you find something you're like, oh, I was doing this for one minute and I'm like, oh, but this looks a lot more fun. Maybe just go do that. But there's so many different pockets of lighting you can do that I feel like there's so many different choices. Yeah. It's so interesting. You were like, I want to work in the music industry. And then you got into lighting versus lighting first. So you prefer live concerts. Why do you like live better? 
Live concerts, I feel like they're better for me personally, just to see the audience react to maybe something that you did along with the artist that they paid to see. I mean, obviously they're there to see the artist and you're only there to add to their experience, not take away from it, or you don't want to be distracting. You don't want to make them feel awkward with a blind spot in their eyes for like two songs. You know, you could be mindful of that, but that also included with just how anything can go wrong, everything can go right. You're there in the moment with the people that are there to see the artist. And it's just kind of like, I don't want to say like you feel like a proud parent, but when you see like an audience look at what you worked hard on with an artist and then they're enjoying it as much as you are, it's just very satisfying and you feel a little fulfilled, at least I do, during that part of the whole experience. I'm just satisfied with a good show. If I see a good show and I feel like I did a good job, I'm like, okay, oh, okay, I can still do this then. All right, this is great. I'm going to keep doing this. And every time you do something, I feel like you fall more and more in love with the job. So I've been doing it for 14 years now so I, I still fall in love with it every day I do it. Awesome. I've actually always wondered with a live audience how much of the lighting is interactive with the audience's reaction versus pre-generated. Well it's when you run into time coding you know sometimes the song has certain moments and you know the time code will do that for you since you pre-programmed it but there are some times when an artist will be like you know that bar over there looks really fun to walk on I'm gonna go walk on that thing and you don't have a spotlight over there you don't know if they're gonna do it so you just gotta be kind of ready to do stuff live so they're called blinders or moles those are the blinders that kind of light up the entire audience you know for the call to action like if a band is clapping and you start clapping back or they shout to you shout back all that stuff so it's like when you see that happening you put the blinders up so that the artist could see the call to action and so the people in the audience can see the artist react they're looking at that person or like you can see their reaction back so i think it's important to get that interaction so lighting the audience up i think is very important at certain times but not too much because then it just turns into a warehouse so you were talking about in college how that's when you really started focusing on the art of lighting but how did you transition into making it your career well for college i didn't go to school for my career I feel bad saying that. It's, it's like the old way of thinking, but I went to school for television video. I didn't take any lighting courses in college until after I got back from my first couple of tours. So I was still taking colleges because I didn't know for sure if I'd be able to make it in the business. So I was like, I got to stick with college. Cool. I'm able to tour and do this, but I, I'm not sure if this is going to be you know, sustainable. But I was like, you know what, I'm gonna take a theater lighting class anyway, because like I was saying, I need to know like that side of the everything. So I took a theater lighting class just to see what I could use from that for the live concert world. That's so cool. You were touring in college. Did you have to miss class because of it? Or how did that work? Yeah, I tell everybody I am a super duper extreme senior. I took a leave of absence my senior year of college to tour 2006 and I never went back. So I justify the time I spent there as if I was going to school for lighting. And look, now I'm doing the career that I went to college for. Yeah, you took a class. Yeah. <laughs> it worked out great. You went on tour and you're just like, I'm going to keep going on tour. Basically, yeah. As long as I kept on getting asked back to tour. I mean, 2006 to 2008 was very sporadic in touring for me because it was I was still starting out. And then 2008, 2009 is when All Time Low asked me to tour with them. So I'd only done maybe four tours, maybe five prior to All Time Low touring with me. But I felt like, you know, I was still learning. But they gave me a chance to show them what I can do. And after the first tour, they asked me to stay on as their LD and I'm still here. Was All Time Low your first big break? Yes, but also I don't want to take away from the fact of how much the Dresden Dolls and the band The Click Five did for me prior to All Time Low bringing me on. So All Time Low definitely has changed my life in the most amazing way possible. And yes, they have given me the biggest tours and the biggest opportunities. 
So that's definitely number one. Awesome. Do you think there's certain cities more lighting designers are in or is it kind of all over? Absolutely. I would say Nashville is a hub for a lot of LDs. Las Vegas is as well and New York City and LA. So I think you have your big pockets there. I know a lot of friends of mine are based in Nashville and a lot are in LA. I'm guessing it's based on the kind of lighting you want to do. Like if you want to do country concerts, you go to Nashville. You'd think so. But I mean, it's just that Nashville is where all the tour bus companies are mostly based out of. You have a lot of like production companies that are based in Nashville. You have a lot of rehearsal spaces based in Nashville because it is such a big music city. It just evolved into this thing where it's just basically a musical hub, not just for country, but it's everything now. It's become like almost the capital of music as far as the industry goes. But I have a lot of friends in Las Vegas, too, that are doing amazing things. And L.A. obviously is a hub in New York City. Obviously, you know, those two are just they're never going to go away. Right. Yeah. Las Vegas is all the live shows. Yeah. Why yeah. did you choose Boston? Uh, like I said, college. And I loved, I fell in love with the city. And when I tour, I was able to keep a job working at local venues here. So I still can work at the Paradise Club. That's still a club that's open. When I'm home. I work at the House of Blues now, which is where Axis used to be. So they tore that building down where I used to be, the lighting guy. And then they built a new building there. And that's where House of Blues is now. It's literally right down the street from my apartment. So it's kind of easy to just go into work when they needed me to go and when concerts were still a thing. It just kind of worked out great. So I could leave for tour. And then when I come home, take some time off and I needed to do some work i can go work at the venues and then when i'm done with that just go back on tour that's cool you just kept working and then you eventually just were able to live off it full time just by like getting more gigs yeah i didn't know where exactly where it was going to go and then the snowball kept rolling i'm like i'm just gonna follow that thing and just see how big it can get i know comedians like to perform at local clubs they like try newer riskier material versus like a big tour do you feel the same way yeah, I think the bigger budgets you get with different artists, you can get different fixtures that do crazy new things. There, there, there's new fixtures coming out every year. I think we're in like golden age of lighting because every year there's new products, there's new things. There's just so many new things happening because the technology is just off the charts with what we're able to do now. So I'm like a kid in a candy store every year. There's a conference. I'm like, what do they got now? Like, what are they doing now? Did they do this? Oh, they did that. Okay, great. And you just kind of get involved and he's like, okay, you know, I'm going to try that new product if we can afford it in the budget because I got a great idea for it. And then you kind of do it. And then that's where you can do your renderings of your design. So you can kind of see a virtual image of what it would look like. And like with time coding at home, I can do a time code. I can see what it looks like on my visualizer and see what this would look like live as close as you can get to live. Obviously it's not going to be perfect. So you have you do as much as you can before the show and you're like, okay, but live, it could look a little different. So I feel like you look at different products and you want to try new things just based on budgets or you can even get creative with small budgets. You know, you can go to Home Depot and put something together. I have a few friends that just would go to Home Depot, make their own awesome tube lights and they would be like cheap, but they would look fantastic. So it really depends. Sometimes you can blame a budget for not being able to get what you want, but you see other people being like, yeah, but you know, you can make anything you want if you have the time and the drive. What's your favorite cheap product for like, amateurs and your favorite like expensive bigger professional product <laughs> oh boy cheap product I mean, fluorescent tubes those are cheap fragile but you wire them right and you, you put them in a certain orientation on stage and they're great there was an artist called mute math that i saw this done for the first time when i was at axis and it's been burned in my brain i still see it to this day that's the first time I ever saw it done. Not that that was the first time ever, but in my mind, I'm like, oh, whoa. He, took, he just took a whole bunch of fluorescent lights, did an amazing show. I'm like, oh. Do you have a, a favorite new trendy, expensive product? Yeah. Um, I don't want to sound biased, but uh, everything that Roby is doing right now with their profile movers and their LED washes is amazing. They have products called the Spider and the Tarantula, and those are just their LEDs. And you can do so many amazing visual effects with them, so you can create 
very dynamic environments. They can start from stage. You can throw it to a building like four blocks away and it would still make it, you know, like stuff like that. I mean, those are good for arenas. You don't want to do it in small clubs, but I'd have to say Roby products for sure. What's so great about them? I think they're ahead of the curve on a lot of things. So they see what LDs want. Like they'll have a conference at their headquarters in Florida. They'll invite a bunch of designers, a lot of industry people down to see what new products they're going to be debuting. And then they'll have them side by side and show them, show us what the beam looks like compared to a product that's similar from a different company. So they'll do a shootout with all products. They'll invite us down. They'll ask us what we are looking for in a product that's not invented yet. So they listen to the LDs and they know what we're looking for that we don't have yet. And they know what we like. They're a company that I feel like listens to LDs a lot more than most. That's really smart. What do you usually want? Do you have go-to techniques that you prefer or like a signature move? Every LD is different. So I obviously I'm only going to speak for my process on that. So I listen to the artist's music nonstop to a point where no other music makes it into my ears for a while. I listen to the set list in order, basically make notes when I think transition would be good or what mood would be set, what color temperature, all that would, would make sense. Make a bunch of notes on that and be like, okay, where do I see the lighting design in their album artwork? Where do I see any artistic you know, branding that they want to do? Because every new album cycle basically comes with its own branding. So you kind of want to echo that in the live show. So that's where the video content links in with the album artwork. Sometimes the design looks very similar to the artwork. If you take the 1975, for example, their production is always fantastic. And they have that nice frame, you know, that like neon frame on their albums they have that live as well and it just translates to a, you see you take the album you see the on the small scale and then you go there and it's just their album just blown up you know in imax kind of vibe and you just feel like you're in the album and i think that's kind of the goal of every ld is to bring the audience into the album live as best as you can i think that's where i go with it you know i just kind of go down the rabbit hole of their music and what message they're trying to convey and try to do it as best as i can that's so cool you work backwards from the artists and what message they want to send yeah, basically, I think so. Obviously, every song has its own personality, so I treat every song as if they're a different person. And I look at it also as well, maybe a video game level, so every song's a different level of video games. And the boss is the reaction. You're trying to get a good reaction out of the crowd you know, with the artist. Do you have a favorite show you've designed for? I'd say it's a tie between Wembley Arena that I did with All Time Low and then the design I did immediately following that for Moving Video Diamonds that we did in the UK following that show. What was so special about them? I was basically in full control of the design, like every aspect, whether it be when live video would happen on the diamond video walls that would be moving, the entire lighting design, just certain aspects of the show where I was able to control most of it. So that one I'm most particularly proud of. What's a typical day to day like for a typical lighting designer? <laughs> on tour already or? Great question. As in during, your, during your design process. I love to hear both actually. Well, day-to-day -day for design process, I feel like you treat it more as an artist because you're not going to get up and be like, okay, I'm going to sit here and just like do it. I mean, I feel like that's, that's, that's like when you're like, I think you get to that point where you just sit there and do it when you have already gone through your notes, when you have all your time coding and cue lists ready to go. And that's when you just like sit down and you already have the meat and potatoes done. You just got to serve it up, you know, on the console. But I think when you're inspired, just listen to music, you get a certain time of day, you go outside for a bit, you find different places to get inspiration uh, to put towards your art form. And I try to apply that to lighting. And sometimes I'll get inspired. Sometimes I won't. You just kind of go with when you get inspired. And then on tour, it's very like much like clockwork. You get up early, you do your daily routine before you get off the bus, 
go in the venue, you unload your truck. It really depends on the size of the tour. Sometimes I have a bunch of lighting techs and we have a lot of crew. And so sometimes I don't have to do some things that I might have to do on different tours. But you get up, you make sure all the gear is getting in. You introduce yourself to local LD or crew chief or whoever you need to introduce yourself to. You get the rig set up with yourself, your lighting techs, local crew, production manager, and try to do it, number one, as safely as possible, as correctly as possible, and as efficient as possible. And hopefully with a kind heart as well, so you're not, you know, screaming your head off at people just because, you know, people get short fuses sometimes. So you try to be calm, collected, kind, and get the lighting up as soon as possible. Update your positions on the console up front of house. Make sure everything's perfect there. Open doors on time. I take some time for myself to maybe take a nap, get some food. I never eat until I'm done programming in front of house. Maybe I'll try to take my own time. If I'm in a city I haven't been to before, I'll try to get out and explore it as much as I can. If it's been a city that, um, and this sounds spoiled, especially during quarantine, if I've been to it like 10 times, I may just take time to, you know, sit in the hammock and be like, okay, maybe today's not a day to go out sightseeing. Just take time for yourself, you know, and enjoy the city just for what it is instead of just being a tourist. After that, you just have some dinner, go do your show, and then reverse what you did in the morning. You know, load it out, get it on the truck, get on the bus. I love my alone time is to watch a movie on the bus. So like when the bus is very quiet, I like to sit in the front lounge and watch a movie and just kind of be, just chill and kind of reset your brain and repeat in the morning. But I don't think that's spoiled at all. I think that makes you uh, self-aware of how to be balanced. I, for one, when I'm traveling, try way too hard to like do everything. And then I'm just burnt out after a month or two or something. <laughs> right. I feel like there's nothing wrong with that either as well. You know, sometimes you, you got to go pedal to the metal and get out there. And because if you don't, you'd be like, you may fall into the rut of like, oh, I'll do it next time. And then we're in a situation like this and we don't know what next time is going to be. So when you're enjoying those times, you look back at them now, you're like, man, I'm glad I took my time. Or, hey, it's a cool thing I did you know, get up and go out that one time. Or it's like, man, it was really nice to relax in the city and just mm-hmm. enjoy it. Yeah. I know most of the lighting's pre-programmed, but have you ever had a big fiasco during a show? Of course, yeah. But a lot of lights are pre-programmed. I personally do an even marriage of half and half. I do a lot of my stuff live as well, just because I feel like I'm not bored, but I feel like I'm not doing as much as I could be doing when it's time-coded. But obviously a lot more is happening when you're it's time coding because you can do a lot more things. But I, I like to be busy in front of house. I like to make sure, you know, I'm involved in some way. And I'm not just sitting back and just, okay, you know, this looks good. You know, I like to be involved a little bit. And that's not taking away from anybody, you know, who loves to time code it. I think it's every LD's prerogative of how they feel and how comfortable they are in front of house and how comfortable they are with their methods. So I think every LD is unique and I think every LD has their system. And I think it really depends on the person. Yeah. What was the biggest fiasco you had? How did you correct it? Kabuki malfunctions happen a lot. Kabuki is a drape that comes down in front of the artist before they go on. So it kind of hides everything that's going on. So you can see silhouettes through it. So it's a big cloth. It can either be black, white, whatever color, a logo. Some people put projection of video onto it so that when the band starts to like build up and the Kabuki drops and it reveals everything. But there's so much that can go wrong with this little release clamps that are called solenoids. If they don't release and it gets stuck, it doesn't release the whole Kabuki just kind of hangs there and if it's not releasing it's just dangling in front of the audience and the artist and it's just like what do you do so chris griffin one of my lighting techs on a u.s tour that happened during one of our shows he climbed up in the middle of like at the beginning of the show on the front truss over a sold out crowd outside the wind was kind of swinging up there so he went up did it all like right in front of everybody my heart was like racing for him the entire time because i was nervous is this thing gonna fall play everything is safe and when everything works out after 
the malfunction happens and everything is fine and everybody's safe, then you're like, oh, okay, then you can breathe easier. But in the moment, you're definitely freaking out. I've had lights malfunction before. I mean, sometimes lights will not cooperate. Sometimes a bulb will blow and a moving light. Sometimes they'll reset. Sometimes they'll get errors. I mean, that happens every show. You just kind of roll with the punches. And that's, I think what will help you do it live is you have your finger on the button and you have your fail safes ready to go if anything goes wrong. How many tiers of backups do you have? <laughs> uh, I mean, whatever we can afford, really. We have a bunch of backups. I mean, really depends. I mean, normally you'll get maybe four of each particular fixture. If uh, it goes wrong for like maybe a five-week tour, and then you'll have some lighting techs who are just super whiz kids when it comes to taking them apart and putting them back together, and they can fix anything. So sometimes they need maybe one or two backups, and they can fix the one you have. And sometimes the problem is just happens to four different lights, and you go through your four backups in one night. It really, it really depends. So I know how you said you approach lighting differently depending on the artist. So for a band like All Time Low versus a DJ like Kygo, how do you change the sour design approach? Like, or the big changes you do? Something as simple as listening to the music, you see how big the changes are just in the genre. And then you see how they want to be lit. And that's what you do. And I mean, it's two different genres. I mean, EDM is lit totally different. I'm, although Kygo is so versatile, he does more than just your typical EDM. He's just an all-around great musician, you know, to boot. How he does his music is a totally different way than All Time Low does. So, I mean, you're obviously you're going to adjust your lighting to, to the tempos and the moods that they both create. I guess Kygo is more strobe heavy, fast shutters, more movements, more blackouts, I think, because there's more drops in EDM music. And there's a lot more buildups in EDM music too. Your builds will last a little longer. There will be more builds until the drop happens for the EDM when, you know, usually the cryo jets fire, confetti fires, or any special effects would fire. It's very common in EDM shows. So there's a lot of eye candy going on in EDM shows versus a full band because you have one guy with a lot of stuff surrounding that particular artist to make it look like more is going on, I feel like. And that's just how it is. And that's not a dig at the genre at all. It's just you have one maybe two people uh, up there and you really got to make it entertaining for the audience as well. And I feel like with a full live artist and a full band like All Time Low, yes, you do have to do things that go along with the music and magnify what they're trying to do. But obviously there's more guys up there to, you know, do more. How does it feel when it goes from just the concept of the full live experience? I know you're designing it on paper, you're making notes, but like, how do you do, make that transition to the actual show? Yeah, I guess trial and error, really. You see what works, you see what doesn't work, and maybe your idea doesn't exactly translate to how you thought it would. You want to know, and you think you know, and sometimes you try it out, and you're like, well, that didn't work the way I thought it would for this particular thing, which is the beauty of renderings. You test it out at home or in a studio, and you see what works before you present the final design to the artist. And once you know exactly what you want, and you're getting the exact effects you want from certain fixtures or certain placements of the fixtures, and you take it to the artist, and they love it, and you're like, oh, okay, you feel validated. You feel like, okay, I made the right decisions. And they like what I did. If you just take your, your time with it, you'll find something that works. So for your career, do you think you're a representative of the typical lighting designer career? Oh, I don't know. I don't know everybody's individual journey. I'm sure there's more official ways to get into the business than the ways I took. Starting off with local bands, but the more and more friends I have in the business, the more and more common I see similarities to maybe my story of how I got in the business. Everybody's different. And a lot of it is, oops, I'm in the business and I love it, you know, and people just stick with it. So I, I don't want to say that mine is typical because I don't think anybody's story is typical when it comes to getting in the business. That's very true. What is your favorite and least favorite thing about the job? Favorite thing? Seeing the world and being paid to do it with a bunch of great people. The worst part about it is being away from the people you love. And maybe once in a while, uh, 
you'll encounter a really bitter local crew that had a bad day the day before you get there, and sometimes they take it out on you, and you just kind of roll with it. A lot of touring crews, too. A lot of touring crews can be a little bitter, too, to some local crews, so it works both ways. How much time of the year is on tour versus not on tour? A typical year, a busy year, would probably be eight to nine months out of the year, not in a row, but it would be spaced out throughout the entire year with about maybe a month off in between, two weeks off here and there, maybe a week off. There's been times, and like I kind of mentioned before, I'm basically a workaholic. If Sometimes I'll take a tour with only two days off in between, and I ask myself, why did I do this? And then I start getting into it. I start doing the tour. I'm like, oh, love it. So you get to a point where you're like, am I burning the candle at both ends? You know, am I burning myself out completely? And I think the balance is not doing that and not souring yourself on the business so you start hating something you love so much for so long. How do you balance that? Just like taking breaks? You take a break. Sometimes there's some personal time because everybody needs it. Sometimes it's easy to be like, yes, 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 yes. Just say yes to everything you get. But sometimes you just got to take a moment and be like, you know what? You know, me and my girlfriend want to go camping this summer. You take those times and you, when you're doing those things and you take the time, you're like, it just means so much and you get away from it. And then you recharge your batteries and then you're able to go back in. I think it's important to take time for yourself. And I think that's the most important balance. Were you surprised when you were nominated for Lighting Designer of the Year at the Pernellis? Absolutely. Didn't expect that at all. And the people... The colleagues I was nominated with, I saw the list of the heavy hitters of people I looked up to, and I would say I didn't belong, and I was very honored to be side-by-side side with them. But deep down, I knew that I don't think I was ready at all to get the big one. At the time, I was like, this is it for me. I think this is the highest thing I can achieve, just being next to my peers in a category I never dreamt of being involved in. And I know it's a cliche to say it's just an honor to be nominated or an honor to be with those people, but it really was. It motivated me to be as good as them or try to be. Awesome. Do you feel like you're living your dream job? Yeah, absolutely. If I were to have a dream job after this, it would probably be voice acting or maybe acting in some way or being involved in film in some way, even if it's behind the scenes. I love behind the scenes. That's where I got comfortable doing music. So if I'm behind the camera, that's great. But yeah, being involved in film, I think would be the next dream job if I were to have another dream after this one. Oh, I randomly read you thought Jimmy Kimmel has really good lighting. I actually was wondering why you think their lighting is so good. He incorporates the actual live aspect into his show for his artists that he brings on to. He basically has an outdoor setup for like a mini festival for the artist that comes here. So when you see it on TV and when you see it live, you feel like you're at a show or seeing a show. And I feel like the format for most late night shows is here's our band in our studio. Yeah, you have a live audience, but it's also very obviously their studio. But I feel like Jimmy Kimmel does a great way of taking you out of his studio and putting you in the front seat, whether you're at home for a concert. And I feel like that's the difference between him and anybody else in late night right now. That's something that I think podcasts on YouTube don't really concentrate on yet. It's a very standard lighting right now. It's the way of the times right now. I mean, with coronavirus and with quarantines and soft openings and nothing's ever going to be normal or it won't be normal for a very long time. So I feel like people are kind of navigating what could be their new normal when it comes to the industry or when it comes to podcasts, film, TV, or anything like that. So I think we're all in the process of learning what could potentially be the next normal. I guess I'm wondering how your work has changed during quarantine. I imagine a lot. Is there other types of work you're getting now? We're all just kind of waiting to see what happens, you know, as far as live music is concerned. And I think 
there are some people that are evolving and trying to adapt right now. There are a lot of people doing like streams, like, but they're doing like, let's talk about the business. Let's talk about what are you doing or what have other people been doing? Some people are doing the live broadcasts, you know, like DJs, but with full lighting setups and full video, which is pretty cool. I think we're all learning. I'm personally lurking on some writing right now and just keeping up with the lighting as best as I can. I have my own console in my apartment, so I'll just program for fun. Kind of just break up the day as much as you can to make sure the day feels different because it's very easy to get in that rut of, you know, repetitive days. Yeah, perfect time to try new things. Maybe we'll have you back when you're a screenwriter. I don't know about that. <laughs> we'll see. What's the most difficult decision you've had to make to fulfill your destiny? I think you sacrifice friends and family, unfortunately, that you've had for a long time. And as soon as you start diving full headfirst into the business, you don't want to leave your friends and family behind, but you're never home. It's tough to keep those relationships. I personally do my best. I can tell you right now, I know I can do better on a lot of that aspect, but I feel like this quarantine has given me an opportunity to do that. I feel like that's the biggest sacrifice you'll make. You got to make sure it's worth it. Do you feel like there's a biggest mistake you made in your career? Probably in the early on in my career when I maybe thought I knew more than I did. And I think that helped motivate me to know more about everything and try to do everything just because I want to know everything I can. And I didn't like not knowing. And I think early on in my career, maybe I thought I knew more. And as you progress in it, you learn you don't know much. So I think the false sense of confidence that I came in was something I worked on and I tried to get better at that. And I think that was probably the biggest thing. What's the best thing you think you did for your career on the Converse? It got me involved in a career I didn't expect to be involved in and it's changed my life for the better. I'm always happy doing the job. I mean, I may have a bad day. Everybody has bad days, you know, when you're doing it, but when you boil it down, you're doing something you love. And sometimes your worst day is really not that bad to anybody else. Lastly, I'm wondering if there's any advice you give to others looking to check out laying, they're kind of curious about it and figure out if it's the right career for them. Sure. I basically give the same advice to anybody who asks if they want to hear from me about this. But I say, if you're trying to get in the business, the best way to start is to work at your local rock or music venues or theaters. That'll help you get your foot in the door and with some real life training experience, real life everything, because you're not going to learn everything in school. They don't teach you that in school, but you learn that when you get out, obviously. So I think learning as much as you can about whatever particular aspect of the business you want to know, online courses, master classes, literally just watching tutorials on YouTube, just doing as much research as you can. And literally, uh, if you have an eye and a ear for it, I think a lot of people can do a lot of different things if they have the drive to do it. Cool. So at the end, we give guests 60 seconds to pitch anything they want. Is there anything you'd like to pitch? I would like to plug my website, jeffmaker.com. All of my socials are at jeffmaker. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I was happy to do it. Hey guys, hope you enjoyed our interview with the incredibly humble, amazing Jeff Maker. I honestly loved how down to earth he is and just how much he enjoys his work. Working in line was honestly something I knew nothing about before talking to him. And it was so fascinating to see all the work that goes into designing these concerts and having this amazing experience when you go. You can find links to anything mentioned in the episode in our show notes at thenewschoolpodcast.com slash episodes. Stick around till the end to hear a sneak peek of next week's episode. To stay up to date on content, make sure to follow us on Instagram at the New School Podcast and on Twitter at the New School Pod. 
Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. If you rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, you could find your review on a future The New School episode. Do you feel like you or someone else would be an amazing guest on our show? If yes, please contact us on our website, thenewschoolpodcast.com slash contact. Want your ultimate guide on how to turn your passions into a meaningful career? Subscribe to our weekly newsletter at thenewschoolpodcast.com. The New School with Christine Hong is produced by Jenny Snyder and Tristy Biani. Editing by Sydney Salk, John Simpson, and Joseph Cho. Video editing by Josh Stanley. Special thanks to our marketing team who help us spread our mission and put the new school name out there. Katie Osaki, Emma Borgerding, Giovanni Cortez, Cynthia Shao, Dina Che, and Marissa Wolfsheimer. For next week's episode, look out for Sanyi Yuan. She's achieved her hosting dreams as a Disney Channel movie surfer and as a regular Hollywood reporter on the red carpet and various award shows. She's interviewed numerous stars, including Sandra Bullock, Ryan Gosling, Ryan Reynolds, Tom Cruise, Chris Pat, Chris Evans, Chris Hemsworth, Billy Bob Thornton, Jordan Peele, Salma Hayek, and Greta Gerwig. She's also been featured on The Ellen Show and The Jay Leno Show. Because back at CBS, so many of the mentors, they really dissuaded me from moving to L.A. when I told them, hey, I kind of do want to follow more in the footsteps of Orion Seacrest and go do entertainment news reporting. They're just like, oh, no. What you have to do is you have to start out in a tiny market and work your way up and put in your 10 years and then maybe a giant market like LA will take you more seriously. There's no way you could just move out there and become an entertainment news reporter. And I guess I just, I really like it when people tell me I can't do stuff because I see it as a challenge and I like to show them up when they're wrong. Come back next Monday to find out from Sunny how she started her career in entertainment, how she achieved her hosting dreams, and what it's like being a multi-hyphenate in Hollywood. All right, guys, have a great day. Try something new today.